We're in part five of this series where we're taking a grown-up look at the Bible. So far, we've tried to look at sort of the overarching story of the Bible beyond just individual Bible stories. We've said that in the beginning, we are introduced to a God who gives dignity and value to all people. And this was and is very different from the way of seeing the world back then and even now. Uh, then we looked at the broader story of the Old Testament, a section of the Bible that causes problems for many modern people. And yet we found that the Old Testament chronicles the story of human rebellion and God preparing the world for our Savior. And then last week we looked at the story of Paul as one of the main authors of the New Testament. We saw that just like Paul, the story of the Bible can intersect and transform our story. Which leads us to the question, well, how can the story of the Bible intersect and transform our story? And there are several answers to this question. But the one that we'll focus our time on today is that the Bible can intersect and transform our story through more than reading. Uh, reading is definitely a part of the process, but how you read, and maybe more accurately how you study the Bible, is a key to allowing it to intersect and transform your story. So today I'm basically going to give you an overview of how to read and study the Bible. Uh, the information in this overview is taken from many sources over many years, but most prominently, my notes originated from one of my Bible college professors, Dr. Debbie Penn, who led several of my classes, including Bible study methods. So I'm going to try to condense a semester's worth of information, plus several other resources, into the rest of our 25 minutes together today. And we'll start with the illustration that Dr. Penn used throughout our class that I think will be helpful for us today. This illustration is about a journey taking steps to understanding the Bible. Imagine two sides of a river. The left side is the environment of the biblical audience, and on the right side of the river is our current environment. And so step one, grasp the text in their town. Uh, what did the text mean for the biblical audience? And then step two, measure the width of the river of differences. What are the differences between the biblical audience and us? And then step three, cross the principle bridge. What is the theological principle in this text? And then step four, grasp the text in our town. Now, how should Christians today apply this theological principle? And so during our time together today, we'll walk through each step in that journey and provide a few examples to help us understand and apply the Bible to our lives so that it can intersect and transform our lives. Uh, now, today's message will be a bit different than usual, but you can still follow along in the Bible app for the notes and the verses that we'll reference today. If you don't have the Bible app, head to bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the More menu option in the bottom right corner, select Events, and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. So, step one, grasp the text in their town. What did the text mean to the biblical audience? Another way to describe this step is context, which many times is the key to correctly interpreting or understanding the scripture. And there are two parts of the context. The first is obviously the context around the passage in the scripture and the original audience that it was written for. However, another part of context that is often overlooked and really can get in the way of us understanding the context of the scripture in their town, that other context is our own context as the reader. Because we are not entirely neutral or objective as readers. We bring a lot of baggage with us when we approach the Bible. And one of the biggest pieces of baggage is our assumptions or our pre-understanding of the Bible. We think we know what something means before we read it or really study it. And when it comes to the Bible, our, pre our assumptions or pre-understandings are not always biblical. And sometimes 
and many times maybe they need to be changed. However, that's generally not easy to overcome because as theologian and author Kevin Van Hooser says, pride does not listen, it knows. And this is why step one is so important in grasping the text in their town rather than starting off trying to apply it to our town. And yet, we all have a tendency to sort of fill in the gaps of the biblical text with information from our own background and our own experiences. A tendency to, to let our cultural background create a world of impossible meanings for a biblical text before we even read or study it. A tendency towards a posture of standing over the scriptures, dictating what it means, rather than a posture of placing ourselves under the scripture and discovering what it means. Which means we need to be open to changing our assumptions or our pre-understandings when a serious study of the text demands it. Which again is sort of starting the process of God intersecting and transforming our lives through the study of God's word. We can be changed right from the start. And so not only is there context around the scripture itself, it's important to acknowledge the context that we as readers bring to the scripture. And while total objectivity is impossible for any reader, and that's not really our goal, though there are two important steps we can take to better understand the text in their town. And the first is to make observations. And this is how you read and study the Bible carefully and how you can understand it more clearly. And then the other step is to ask questions. Uh, educator and author Neil Postman says, everything we know has its origins in questions. Questions we might say are the principal intellectual instruments available to human beings. However, the problem many times for understanding the Bible is that we've been programmed to ask a particular question in the wrong sequence. That question is, what does this mean to me? And that will come later, but asking observation questions is a few steps before that. These questions are for understanding, not for application. They are content questions like the five W's and an H. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. And these questions also include reason questions like why did, what is the meaning or significance of that, what is the relationship between, what are the implications of. The answers to these questions might come from the text or they might require research or information from other sources. And the purpose of these questions is to understand the scripture in its original context, which includes the historical cultural context and also the literary context. These contexts are important because God did not choose to speak directly to everyone at all times and in all cultures. God chose to speak through the writers, the human writers of the Bible, to address the real life needs of people at particular times in a particular culture. And so we must listen and interpret God's message in a way that honors how God chose to communicate. Uh, so first, the historical cultural context. That includes information about the biblical writer, the audience, and other background elements as well which includes asking these questions. Who were they? What was their background? How was their relationship with God? What was the relationship between the writer and the audience? What was, the ha what was happening rather at the same time that the text was being written? Uh, socially, uh, religiously, were they rejecting God or were they following him or were they following other local gods? What was going on politically? Was Israel a single kingdom? Was it split into two kingdoms? Or was, were they in exile ruled by surrounding conquering kingdoms? What was happening in the economy? Was it a drought? Was it a famine? Or a prosperous time? Was there, where was this geographically? What is significant about the location of these people and their neighbors? The historical cultural context gives us a window into God's original meaning 
as reflected in the text. And the other context is the literary context, also known as literary style or genre. And we know our modern Western literary genres, like narrative, which might be epitomized by The Hunger Games or The Great Gatsby. Uh, poetry from famous poets or musicians. Uh, prose from, from reading news articles and essays online. However, much of the Bible is written as an ancient Jewish literature, not modern Western literature, which is quite different. And as we've said previously in the series, while modern people like all of the details, that is some of the baggage that we sort of bring into the scripture. Ancient writers didn't always include all of the details. And while the lack of details can be frustrating for us, and it can seem simplistic, ancient literature, particularly in the Old Testament, was actually quite sophisticated. Many of the questions we ha might have about a seemingly lack of details usually would not have been seen as important to the author, and likely the lack of detail and ambiguity was intentional by the author. That we have to remember that we are a Western people, and the Bible is more of an Eastern book. The Bible says things in ways that our, our Western minds aren't used to. For instance, the scriptures tend to deal with both and thinking rather than either or thinking. And also in Eastern thinking, authors often present information in paradoxical pairs, like Jesus being both fully God and fully human. Uh, also, the, the literary genres are they are sort of like games or sports because they each have their own set of rules. To understand what the biblical authors are saying and really what God is saying through them, we must play by the rules of the literary genre selected. And so when it comes to literary context or genre, we have to remember that we are a Western people and the Bible is more of an Eastern book. And so step number one is, it's kind of big. Grasp the text in their town. What did the text mean to the biblical audience? And this is a step where we all need some great resources to help us understand that. And so here are two helpful online resources. The first one is thebibleproject.com. Uh, they have beautiful and creative overview videos of the context of the whole Bible and how to study it. They also have video overviews of each book of the Bible, as well as videos about specific topics, themes, or relevant ideas. But this resource can really help us grasp the text in their town. Another one is the blueletterbible.org. Uh, they have various versions of the Bible, and what I use them for most is looking up individual words or phrases to find the meaning in the original Hebrew or Greek. And they also have maps and commentaries, charts, and more. And so basically in step one, that's where we try to determine the meaning of the text for the biblical audience. And the meaning is what the author intended to communicate when he wrote the text. Uh, meaning will be the same for all Christians, which is different from application. And then we take that meaning from step one to number step number two, measure the width of the river of differences between us. What are the differences between the biblical audience and us? And this can be overwhelming for some of us because we see so many differences just between historical time periods of the ancient and modern people, let alone very different cultures and on and on it goes. And it's important though also to remember in this step that the Bible that there are significant similarities between the biblical audience and us as well. Uh, that we all live in a very broken world. We are all looking for hope. We have many of the same needs to survive. It's also, though, it is important to note the differences between us and the biblical audience, like culture, which includes so many different things, language, food, occupations, government, society, and so many other aspects. Uh, the languages of the Bible were very different from our modern languages particularly American English, with idioms and syntax and number of their words representing our single word and vice versa. Uh, time is also very different, uh, depending on including 
not always documenting events chronologically or sequentially, as well as calendars being different and time references being different. Uh, for those of us in America, another difference is geography, because the scriptures all were written in and to people living in the Middle East, Northern Africa, and the Mediterranean Rim, which was which is really quite different than our weather patterns, our temperature, our topography, and more. Uh, lifestyles were very different, as they were more nomadic then, they were farmers, their economy was based much more on agriculture and trading, uh, transportation and women's rights was very different, and just really the view of women in general was very different. And at this point, it's very reasonable to wonder, how can we cross the river of differences between the biblical audience and us? It just seems to be so big. And some try to use a more intuitive approach, sort of asking what feels right. But as we all know from our middle school crushes, our feelings can be wrong, right? Uh, some people try to cross this river of differences by spiritualizing the biblical meaning, the differences, and even just the process of understanding the Bible. However, that approach sort of colors the Bible to our own theology and really to us, rather than letting the Bible interpret the Bible. Another approach is just to sort of get discouraged and give up. That doesn't get us anywhere, and so we shouldn't do that either. Uh, plus, that we think there actually is a way across the river of differences to actually understand what God wants to communicate to us today. So step number two, measure the width of the river of differences. What are the differences between the biblical audience and us? And then step number three is to cross the principal bridge. Uh, what is the theological principle in this text? And in step one, we, we sort of determine what the text meant. And then after that, we have identified the differences between the original audience and us. We then try to sort of discover the principle that the author was trying to communicate. And this principle will apply to both the biblical audience and to Christians today. Now, part of the discerning of this principle includes recognizing which principles, commands, or mandates are universally acceptable and which are sort of temporary or which are sort of situational. Because there are universal principles that are always true no matter the context no matter the culture, no matter the time period. And these principles are consistently presented, taught, and expressed throughout the scriptures. Now, one example of this is to not commit adultery. And that principle is originally taught in the Old Testament and the law, but it's also taught in the prophets, and it's also taught in the New Testament when, when Jesus would teach about it, and when other writers included it in their letters as well. And differentiating between universal principles and temporal or situational principles is where things can get challenging. Temporal principles are commandments for a particular period of time, and they are not consistently taught or presented throughout the scripture. Uh, one example is found in Leviticus 19, verse 28. Do not cut your bodies for the dead, and do not mark your skin with tattoos. I am the Lord. Now, one of the questions we have to ask to identify if this is a temporal principle rather than a universal principle, is this teaching in response to a particular problem that seems to rise out of a particular culture or setting. Because this is the only time tattoos are referenced directly in the scripture. This command is given likely because of the culture around the biblical audience, that tattoos were considered a form of worship to other gods. So many Christians today would say that the principle to take from that verse is not necessarily that we shouldn't get tattoos because that is a command for a certain period of time when tattoos meant something very different than they do today. That most Christians would say, this is a teaching addressing a problem from a particular culture and setting. Also, I think many Christians would say that the principle to take from this verse is that we shouldn't do anything that is worshiping someone other than God. 
And so quickly sort of skipping ahead to the application of that principle, that principle would also include that we shouldn't get any tattoos as a sort of form of bringing extra attention to ourselves or focus to ourselves, which is actually one of the definitions of worship, attention or focus on someone or something. And so there are temporal principles for a particular time period, but also there are situational principles that cover specific problems in specific situations. These situational principles are not consistently presented throughout the scripture, just like the temporal ones are not. They're not presented either over time. And one example of this comes from the New Testament. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 5 and 6. But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophecies without a covering on her head. For this is the same as shaving her head. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her hair. But since it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaved, she should wear a covering. Now, the covering for the head was an act of modesty in this Corinthian culture. Now, modesty is a bit of a hot topic for some Jesus followers right now because it has been so abused and led to unfair treatment of women for centuries. However, there is some sense in which we all agree that some form of modesty is necessary because no spouse wants their spouse to wear lingerie in front of other people, right? Now, determining where the modesty line is can be a bit trickier than that. However, to the point of these verses, for a woman to not wear the covering for her hair would be like an American married person purposely taking off their wedding ring while walking into a hotel bar on a business trip. And so the specific principle about wearing a head covering is situational. And yet the universal principle from these verses is that modesty in some form is beneficial in society. So how do you know if the principle you have discovered is legit? Well, here are some criteria that should satisfy it that it should satisfy, rather. The principles should be reflected in the biblical text. The principles should also be timeless and not tied to a specific situation. The principles should not be culturally bound. The principles should be consistent with the teaching of the rest of Scripture. And the principles should be relevant to the biblical audience and the contemporary audience as well. And so after step number three, we cross the principle bridge. Step number four, grasp the text in our town. How should Christians today apply the theological principle? Now remember, application of the scripture is different from the meaning of the scripture. The meaning is what the author intended to communicate when he wrote the text. Meaning should be the same for all Christians, which is different from application. Application is the response of the reader to the author's meaning, communicated through the text. Application may vary from Christian to Christian. And the question to distinguish these two concepts is, what does the scripture mean and how do I apply it? The application is looking at all the study that you've done before, seeing the principle from the scripture, and then discovering a parallel contemporary situation that the principle applies to. And when trying to apply scripture, beware of applying cultural standards rather than biblical standards. And it can be easy to try and apply a cultural standard because many times those are easier to identify. When finding the biblical standard within a cultural standard is so much harder. Also, beware of attempting to strengthen a legitimate truth by using a scripture incorrectly. Sometimes we think we need more support for something that is already in the Bible. And lastly, beware of applying scripture out of a prejudice from past training or teaching. And unfortunately, we have all been taught something that was incorrect about the Bible, and yet we don't have to continue to believe those things. 
So let's take a passage of scripture that I've heard misused from teachers and preachers and, and sort of walk through each step by step. The passage is something that you've likely heard from Revelation chapter 3. Now, Revelation is a difficult book to understand because it talks about the return of Jesus. It's also hard to know what is literal and what is figurative, but if we follow these steps on our Sunday or our Bible study journey, it's possible to understand at least this one section of that book. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, the traditional misinterpretation of this passage is what Jesus is that Jesus wants people to be hot, passionate, and energetic for him. Therefore, cold people are actually rejecting him. And if that is true, then interestingly, it would seem that Jesus would prefer that we are passionately against him cold or passionately for him hot rather than indecisive, lukewarm. Well, let's go through the steps. Step number one, grasp the text in their town. What did the text mean to the biblical audience? And this is actually where everything hinges for this passage. Now, the first three chapters of Revelation are seven letters from Jesus to seven churches in modern-day Turkey. And the passage we read from is the letter to the church in Laodicea. Laodicea did not have a good water source. However, using Roman aqueducts, they received hot water from the north, and this hot water was famous because it came from soothing and healing hot springs. Laodicea received refreshing cold water from the south from snowmelt on the mountains. However, unfortunately, by the time the hot and the cold water reached Laodicea, both were lukewarm. So step number two, measure the width of the river of differences. What are the differences between the biblical audience and us? And while we don't live in the first century, there are actually not many differences that are relevant to this passage. We all understand the importance of hot, healing water, as well as refreshing cold water. So step number three, cross the principal bridge. What is the theological principle in this text. And so the point that Jesus is trying to make is not that this church lacked zeal or passion. It seems they are worthless because they aren't helpful to the community, like hot water or cold water would be. And we find out more in the next verse when Jesus says this about the church in Laodicea. You say, I am rich. I have everything and I want everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked that Laodicea was a city with a reputation for banking. It had excellent medical school, it had an excellent medical school, and it had a clothing industry. However, Jesus says they are not rich but poor, not healthy but blind, and not well clothed but naked. Basically, their resources led them to rely on themselves rather than be useful for others. Their problem was not a lack of passion, but a sense of self-sufficiency. The church there was relying on themselves instead of relying on God. They weren't using their resources to help the poor, heal the sick, or clothe the naked. And so step four, grasp the text in our town. How should Christians today apply the theological principle? And so Jesus is saying that for those of you who are useful to refresh others and to stop inflammation like cold water, be that. Those of you who are useful to heal and to help increase blood flow like hot water, be like that. This means you don't need to have all the resources or all the gifts or, or each of the personality types or the skills, whatever. You can be who God made you to be which will be helpful for different people and different situations, even as different as hot and cold water. Don't be unhelpful to others. Don't be lukewarm. And so as we wrap up this message, hopefully these steps can help you read and understand the Bible better. Step one, grasp the text in their town. Step two, measure the width of the river of differences. And then step three, cross the principal bridge. 
And then step four, grasp the text in our town. And our main idea for today is that the Bible can be understood and lived out through careful study and an open heart. Because after all, we're reading the Bible to tell us who God is, what God has done, who we are, and what we are to do. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the scriptures. Thank you for the Bible that is many times difficult to understand because we live in such a different world. But God, thank you that we can understand it with your help and through some study and through some asking some important questions. God, would you help those of us who have tried to study the Bible and sort of has frustrated us and so we sort of have given up. Would you help us to re-engage with the scriptures to help us to learn about you and to who you are and what you did for us and who we are and what we should do. God, would you also help those of us who, who are continuing to study the scriptures? And, and we would, you, would you help us continue to stay motivated, to help us to continue to see ways that we can get better at understanding what, what you are, who you are, and what you've done for us? God, would you help those of us who maybe have never studied the scriptures because it just seems too daunting, it seems too ancient, it seems too archaic, would you help them to see something that would just light a spark in them, that would spark some interest for them to study your word. And that, God, you would do something through your words to help communicate who you are to them. God, thank you that we have the Bible and all the history and the story that goes into it, God. Thank you so much for that. Would you help us to see how it intersects and can transform our life as well? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.